this is I. I used to go by Ina, and I decided to drop the non. So non right now is kind of a placeholder last name. Uh, but anyway, it's uh, me, Rick, and we have a special guest today. Um, it's Ayana Young uh, from the For the Wild podcast, and I will go ahead and let her introduce herself, and then we will go ahead and start conversing. And then Rick, maybe you want to introduce yourself too after Ayana, or you know, just go with it. Um, so do you want to go ahead and start, Ayana? Sure. Well, thank you both so much for having me on the show today. I'm feeling so excited to chat and connect. And um, yeah, so my name is Ayana Young. I host the For the Wild podcast, and I also direct the For the Wild organization, where we focus on intersectional storytelling um, and impact campaigns to uh, protect the earth and to defend the land that is constantly being threatened by resource extraction. So um, yeah, I have been so shaped by the guests that I've had on the show and the grassroots organizers that I've been able to work with on the ground. And I, um, yeah, really calling them into this conversation and grateful to them for guiding me and uh, guiding me through the work, but also guiding me to you both, because this is how we all are knowing each other. So thanks so much and looking forward to diving in. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yes. So I'm Rick. Um, people that listen to the podcast should know who I am. <laughs> but uh, really quick about how we decided to interview you. I was like, hey, we should interview Ayana. And, and I, I was like, yeah, I listened to her show too. But if you, if you don't or if you haven't listened to For the Wild podcast, please go subscribe and listen. It's a really good podcast. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, it really is. Um, it's yeah, it's for the wild podcast, right? Dot world. I forget your address. Oh yeah, the, yeah, the website is for the wild dot world, but you can find it anywhere you find the pod podcasting. So yeah, it's out there. Yeah, it's definitely out there. You will find it um, with a quick search for for the wild. Um, so we did send you a list of questions, but I would rather kind of we just bounce off and see where we go. Um, maybe we'll just we'll just see what happens. Um, so I'm I'm really curious. I I like how you throughout the podcast have used something. You've used storytelling and narrative as a way for transformative change. And so I I would kind of maybe like you to start the conversation with how how you see storytelling as a, as a, I don't like saying vehicle because that puts a very like colonial tinge to it, but as a sort of like um, seed. Yeah. How do you use narrative and storytelling as kind of like a seed for change? Um, and I was wondering if you could maybe expand on that and maybe we could start there um, and then just mm -hmm. see what happens. Yeah, that's such a good place to start. Well, it's an interesting time, right, you know, with media and storytelling, because on one regard, or in one regard, we're totally saturated with media, with social media and Netflix and all the streaming platforms. We've never had this type of bombardment of storytelling in our history as humans. Um, so on one hand, it's like, why would we do more storytelling? Why would we create more media? And then the other part of me thinks, 
so much of the media and the storytelling that is seen by people is so violent and it's perpetuating these horrendous stories of uh, just, uh, it's just crazy the conditioning that the mainstream storytelling, whether that's on the news or in TV shows, even, you know, you could say mainstream podcasts, just perpetuating this violence, disconnection from each other, disconnection from the earth. And so I think when we put energy into storytelling that is in love and out of respect and striving for reciprocity with one another and with the earth, uh, it's really important because we need those stories. And we know on some levels from looking back through history, whether that's oral or written, that stories have been something humans have always clung on to or clinged on to. I don't know what the, the way to say that is. We've, we've been attached to stories for the way that we move through life and how we learn. And so I think when we're able to tell stories of connection, regeneration, renewal, uh, growth, reciprocity, we are planting seeds in people's imagination. And when I think about the word imagination, I think, you know, Adrienne Marie Brown or some of these other incredible movement leaders that talk about how we're actually in an imagination war and how our imaginations have been co-opted by dominant culture and the powers that think they are. And they have um, gotten into our minds and stripped our imagination from us. So when I think about storytelling, it also plants these seeds of imagination. And if we can't imagine another way of living and relating to each other, then what the hell are we going to do? Like it starts there, that radical imagination to move through this very strange and, oh, I could say so much about this time, but um, yeah, so definitely the, the storytelling and how we are sparked by it to imagine and create a different future for ourselves and for the earth feels so darn important. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's great. I've, I've been chatting with, um, a good friend of mine and they won't mind that I'm sharing this story, but, uh, me and my friend, um, are now very conscious in when we say us and when we say the terms we, or like our society, because we've come to realize that, um, when you take out when you take out a very like white Western colonial extractive oppressive imperialist um, a very small subset of ideologies from a very small group of people, you take them out of the equation of like human history and how humans have been. You notice that most other cultures for the most part are more similar in the sense of their connection to each other and their connection to earth and the different types of stories that they tell about their lands and their their, their um, points in like space time and things like that, that they're more similar than the sort of like tantrumy small group of small subset of people that are currently, you know, what you've termed or somebody in your podcast has termed the powers that think they are. And I, I think I've always found that term when I first heard it on your podcast very like true because I think it is, that's what it is. The powers who think they are but they're not like they're not it's not that they're not a true power it's just that they're not they're not they're not the earth right or they're not like the cosmos they're not they're not bigger in the sense that they can't control um forces greater than themselves 
Um, and we can talk, we, you know, we can expand on that idea too, but I think, I think you're right with having to expand narratives because like when you're talking about social media, you're right, we do get bombarded, but you know, we also have a lot of power in how we consume social media. So it's not like a, we, we were bombarded by social media, but nobody tells you that you can't, you know, delete your Facebook. You can't curate your Facebook specifically. Like, for example, I just look at plant pictures on my Facebook, and that's like, that's it. Um, that's all I do on Facebook, and I, I, put, I, put, I post like food pics and plant pictures on my Facebook so that people's social media feeds can at least be, you know, they can see like beauty in their lives when they're scrolling through all the terrible things because I think we, horror and terror are such like, um, they have such a hold on us and they're reactionary. And so we think that that's normal because they've conditioned us to think that that's normal. But what actually is normal is not the stress hormones and you know, uh, pumping through your whole body every single day, every single waking moment of your life, what's actually normal is like a resting state and like a beauty, you know, like a, a watching the flowers bloom over time, watching the sunsets, listening to the song of the mountains, interacting with trees, eating, you know, plants, uh, watching animals interact, you know, just kind of being instead of like I don't know, the sort of like extractive social media, everything's on fire every single day, feeling powerless kind of um, feeling, you know? And I think that it's time, you're right, that we need to start navigating a different kind of narrative, a different kind of like storytelling that we want to have. One that like kind of goes back to who we are or who we used to be, but also one that's like, we learned from these terrible things that have happened through colonization, through extraction, through fear, through terror, like we can use those as like lessons, not to be scared of them, but to understand them from a more like mature emotional sense, like as a species in order to kind of like decide next, you know, what we want to do collectively because it's all of us um, in this together and kind of just um, move from there. And so I personally, oh, that's funny, I, I uh, <laughs> like, you know, I, I very much consider myself a storyteller and that's kind of what I want to do, right? Um, or not just want to do, but that's what I do. Um, so yeah, I'll leave it out there and then uh, anybody can chime in because I will keep talking forever if... I want to give room to um, all of us to chime in. So if you want me to speak, I will, but I, I'm just pausing for a moment yeah of course that's fine. you can go ahead i have questions but they're not as <laughs> as complex as that so well I'd, I'd love to hear one of your questions um okay so i think before we show we were talking about how there is like you know this podcast is you know very decolonial theory ish and i, I you know and i mm -hmm. feel like environmental justice or you know how to get back into relationship with the earth is not talked about as much especially with within decolonization like how do you feel that can be established you know because you know you, you know in, in uh in political circles you know talking about theory you know like reading marx or reading you know other political theorists is always important but we also need to learn like the relationship of the land where we live you want to you want to i don't know like what's your thoughts on that mm -hmm. Mm 
Oh, such a good point. Because, uh, of course, decolonization means so many things to so many different people. And, um, yeah, there's the I, the political ideology you're talking about with, with um, decolonization. There's legal frameworks, you know. And then there's the more nuanced um, aspects of decolonization. Like... Even when I think about our language, well, I'll, I'll, and yeah, thank you, I, for with the R and the we, and the, so it's hard sometimes. Like, oh, you know, we want I want to talk about the collective, but then it's like, well, what is the collective? And there's so many of us, and yeah, we aren't all looking at things the same way. So I'm going to be very cautious of that. But um, when I think about the English language, and even the way that I was brought up to speak, when the word it, I guess, I think about a lot. Um, oh, it, uh, you, you know, you could look at a plant and you could go, oh, it's not, it's not living or it's green or it's whatever it is, rather than actually saying they, they are a being, they're alive. It's not, the rock isn't an it, the mountain isn't an it, the, the plant is not an it, the tree is not an it. And it's not some, the word itself is almost, is so demeaning, honestly, because by saying it, we're taking away the life force out of this creature that is, I believe, any less important than myself. And so, I, you know, thinking about just the decolonization of language, especially the English language, and it's not to me just the fact that saying it and or they um, suddenly, you know, it seems maybe, oh, well, what, what does that matter? But I realized when I started shifting my language the way I related to life changed because it was no longer objectified. And I think with this dominant consumer culture, when we it things, we objectify them. And then it's a lot easier to destroy them, take them, buy them, throw it away, it away, away where, you know, it, it's really, it kind of the, the colonized language allows us to live in a, a colonized life. And so, um, yeah, these, these little things in daily life are just thinking about how we relate to everything around us. And um, I feel like when, when I'm thinking about decolonizing everyday life, I think about respect. I think about reciprocity. I think about slowness. I think about actually giving attention to what's around me rather than just taking it for granted, moving through and just getting on to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And I think colonization also has led us to this hyper efficiency because it's about making money and making money as fast as possible. But that model in and of itself is so extractive and so lacking of relationships. So then I think, okay, well, decolonizing is really about relationships and about getting out of this fast paced consume extract as much as you can every day without any thought process of where it comes from where where and i'm saying it it's going um whatever the thing is and so yeah there's the decolonizing of systems and there's also the decolonizing of our relationships and decolonizing you know for what i'm thinking about for myself decolonizing the way i see life period. And that's so powerful. And I love that there's so many organizers 
focusing on so many different levels of decolonization because I really do believe it it has to infiltrate every part of our lives. People talk about decolonizing the diet. You know, that's even a huge thing. And then you think about the relationship with food, the relationship the food has with the soil, so on and so forth. Um, localization. I mean, it's kind of like this endless rabbit hole that we could go into around uh, all of these different aspects of how to break from this colonized dominant highly destructive system and of course we know that it's not this this dominant culture it's not just destroying the earth i really think it's destroying us i mean because of course we're one and the same and um it's it's like this poison in our spirit i think about um the word we to go which a few guests have talked about ariel Durange, i think was the first guest on the podcast that brought it up and she said it's a, a, um, an Algonquin word that means the cannibalistic mind virus. And so I, I really see colonization as that, or, you know, the, the colonizer um, system is like this mind virus that leads to this addiction of consumerism and the departure from our spirit to be able to do things that we never would do if we actually were aligned and in right relationship and awake. But it's like that that colonization almost like zombifies people. I don't know if that's a word, but um, yeah, anyways, I could, I'm really, my mind is just churning in all these different ways. So I'll pause before I go way too off the deep end. But I mean, that's that's what we do. At least I do. Rick does it too. So we're we're, we're fine with that. Like we can, we can totally just, (laughs) whatever you want to say, just say it because, you know, that's, that's what, that's what, how you get it out, right? Um, but I, I'll, I'll add to that. I, I agree with everything you say. Um, and I really think, you know, language is definitely a place to start because there is no inherent naturalness, natural law that English has to be an extractive, you know, exploitative um, language. And of course, language evolves, right? And words are very important. Um, like you mentioned, like using they for like the, the trees and the spirits, but also it's very important to acknowledge that everyone is an individual or like I say everybody, right? Because, you know, um, everything has life, like trees and rocks and, you know, plants and animals and like everything is the same as me as much as I am the same as it. And, you know, if you want to start talking about like fungi and how it's connected, you know, it's basically we step on fungi and so we are connected to fungi and fungi is in the air um, as well as the different bacteria, as well as the different plant chemicals, as well as the different things. So for me, um, we talk, we kind of mentioned this, um, or you all have kind of alluded to this, is like in a how do we, how do we reestablish our connection to land, right? Our connection to earth, um, our connection to who we are. And something that I have found very transformative and very simple is that you breathe. Literally, you just breathe, you know, and then you take time to experience that breathing for all that it is. And then that kind of like leads you to the connections of who you are and not in the sense of like, you know, you're going to go take a yoga class and be trained how to breathe, but you're going to breathe for yourself in the sense that you are going to smell the air around you. Because if you think about it from like, if you want to talk about like a geological perspective, the plants are the air. 
like the plants created the air that we breathe. So they're very much like our guardians. They're very much like our creators in a very real sense. Um, you know, not just necessarily just spiritually, but also in like, yeah, they actually like, you know, like we developed into like multicellular organisms with the plants and the fungi, you know, even deeper than the plants. And so we are them. And so when we breathe, we are breathing them as much as they are breathing us. And that, you know, for me, that's, that's step one, if you're feeling whatever, like in order to connect. And it's not to think about what I'm breathing, it's to feel what you're breathing, you know? And for me, scent is very important because it always grounds me to the place that I'm in. So I mentioned this in the beginning, but I've lived all over, all over the world, like so many different places I've lived. Um, and I, the, one of the first things I do whenever I like establish somewhere is I breathe. I breathe the air in and I just take it all in as much as possible. And, you know, I greet the plants. I say, hi, I'm here, you know, um, and I just, I just take it in, you know, like I just absorb through my nostrils and my lungs, the chemicals and that helps, you know, I'm talking in very Western scientific terms, but I, you know, I want to make it as accessible as I can to a broader audience um, and just feel, you know, and that, that for me has always been step one before you start going into like plant-based foods and plants that are growing on the actual land because you can taste the land through the food and you can communicate through the land and the land can communicate with your body so that you're more in tune with like your surroundings. Um, and I think those are the kinds of stories that we need to start telling, but not, not in a, not in a buy our product kind of way, but in a, in a, our bodies are storytellers and our bodies don't necessarily need words to tell stories. Like we can tell stories through eating. We can tell stories through um, sharing. We can tell stories through dance. We can tell stories through breathing. We can tell stories through blinking. We can tell stories through singing, you know, through listening, through climbing trees, through like swimming in the ocean, through tasting ocean water, you know, like that's all story, you know, like in the bigger, broader sense of like life is a really big story. Um, and I think what's kind of what not, I don't want to say that we've lost it because we haven't. Because like I said before, if you take out that very small subgroup of people that considers themselves as the powers that be, right? Like you say on your podcast, then all of that kind of just dissolves on its own. Um, but also, I don't necessarily like saying that they're the dominant culture because they're not. Um, there is more of us than there is more than there is of them, but they just have very manipulative strategic ways of infiltrating minds that they've been using to exploit us. And I think that it's important for us not necessarily to step away from all of that, but to start critiquing that and then saying, I don't like your story. I want to tell my own story. And how can we tell a better story with other people who are trying to also tell their own better story? And then that's kind of like where we go as a collective, because then that's when we start that's when the earth becomes alive again from everyone's perspective. And then we, we don't want to cut down the tree, right? We want, to, we want to work with the tree to provide us with what we need. And then we want to give back to the tree and give back to the land. The tree, of course, being like trees, plural or singular, whatever, um, and encompassing all of nature, right? And then just, just being connected to nature again. And the other thing is that there is no inherent evil nature 
to like humans. Like we aren't born as destructive beings. We are born as organisms of nature because nature is us and we are nature. And so, you know, we make, we are able to make choices as if we want to connect with nature or not. And if we don't connect, if we decide we're not going to connect to nature, it doesn't, it's not that it doesn't matter, but it's like you're still connected to nature because you are nature. So how can you disconnect from yourself? That's logically impossible, which is how you could argue it, you know, when you're talking to like Western scientists or Western colonial mind frames. Like, um, so we need to just make the story, you know, more broader and accessible and then just, I don't know, go from there. And I'm going to stop talking because I could also go on forever. <laughs> You want to go ahead, Ayana? Do you have any comments, thoughts? Mm. Yeah. The whole idea, I mean, going back to the language conversation, the fact that there is a word that is nature and then there's a word that is other. So there's even this dichotomy that's been set up in this system that many of us live under that even separates us just again in our language and then it separates us in our in many of the people who might be listening or not but like then it becomes something cultural that oh we are not nature we're other somebody else they're other than other than other than other than other then it's like where do we end with the othering my gosh and um and yeah i i think about this like I'll say growing up, I was, um, yeah, I, I think I probably thought nature was outside of myself and I'd go to nature and I would revere nature, but maybe I would actually hate myself when I'd go home at night. And, and then it's like, well, is hating ourselves, hating the earth, where do we, how do we get out of that loop? And then I also think about um, rest. So there's like, yeah, the, this point around how we think about ourselves versus how we think about the earth, how we treat ourselves, how we treat the earth and others. And then um, when I was interviewing Trisha Hersey of the NAP ministry, we talked about this idea of rest and white supremacist work culture and how we are violent to ourselves when we are pushing and not resting. And then I thought about the earth in that way too. Um, every time, let's say I push myself, that is using more resources, which then the earth can't rest. So we literally are directly linked. If we are not resting, the earth cannot rest. Um, and that was such a, like, aha moment. Like, oh my gosh, everything I do is impacting the earth. And as the earth is impacted, I am then impacted. And there is literally no separation. So that was just honestly mind-blowing for me. Yeah, it, it's it's wild. Thank you for both of you for your comments. Um, you know, there's something that I non said that kind of struck my mind was um, that you know going back, you know going back in a way we used to be. I think I I personally I think that we that's a um, good thing. But I think we should like think of of that in a way. How do we go forward? Like, how do we create a culture outside of materialism, consumption, capitalism that, you know, we can live balanced with the earth? I don't want to sound like, 
you know, people listening probably like, what are they talking about? Something like hippie stuff. But no, everything, you know, that we do, just like, you know, you said, Ayana, is impacting the earth. I read about stuff all the time. I'm not a super sciencey person, you know, I'm more of a legal person, I have a, a law degree, but still, like, I read these things, I'm like, man, you know, you know, we need to start thinking about how to, you know, um, just live in balance, you know, and there's one episode that you had uh, that was, I think it was called Four Symbiosis, and, you know, one topic, one point you made was that reforestation does, it can happen right away. Right, because also the animals need to be reintroduced into reforestation. So, how do you f- do? You feel re- reforestation is like possible? Or do you think? I think you asked that question within your own episode. Mm-hmm. So, my I would ask you the same question. Do you think we should mm-hmm. let the Earth reforce itself, or you think? Do you think mm-hmm. we should be we should be the one to reforesting the Earth? Whew. I sit with this question every day. (laughs) I am such, I am in a really deep inquiry with this, um, with the whole idea of restoration. And there's so many camps of thoughts, a thought to hear, you know, there's some folks who are like, humans have been managing ecosystems forever. We can't just let this forest per se um, grow on its own like that's not us actually being with nature like being a part of nature being the tenders of this land and we need to go in and we need to tend and we can't just let it go and then of course there's the camp that's like we don't know what we're doing so how are we going to go in and deal with this destruction that's happened on this ecosystem thinking that we know anything at this point and You know, it's interesting because when I think about Western science on, let's just say, um, the the redwoods of Northern California, I mean, how long has Western science really been studying it? (laughs) You know, like what, maybe 100 years? I mean, it's like, of course we don't, I'll just say we as in the Western scientific restoration model. How would we even expect to know anything? A hundred years, that's nothing. Um, So yeah, in a way I'm like, whoa, 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 we need to have patience. And the system that we are living under in this country, patience is something that's literally not even in the cards. Like this is, this culture is not about patience. This culture is about instant gratification. And so, of course, if we're under the model of instant gratification, we're going to want to go in there, make some decisions that we think we've figured out in our four or eight or 10 years of schooling and think that we know something about something or even somebody that studied a forest for 30 years. That's great that they've studied it for 30 years. Yet again, I still don't think that that is the gold stamp that then suddenly you know what you're doing. Like, I, I just don't. I come in with this with a lot more humility And I'm like, uh, we need to pause. I mean, so I guess my take is not to say I know if we should tend or we shouldn't tend. It's more the way in which we approach. I'm interested in an approach that is very humble, very slow, very patient, takes a lot of different perspectives into a plan. If a plan were to be created, definitely, um, Indigenous folks of that area need to be leaders in any type of reforestation effort. I think it's crazy to imagine 
to to not bring in that type of knowledge like like right like I was saying not 10 years not 30 years not 100 years like knowledge of thousands of years of this land and and I think it's tricky too because like what you were saying we it's not so much about going back like how are we going to go back at this point like if you know that's I look around me everything I'm looking at just this little desk I'm on I'm like how do we go back in time just us as humans in this system but also the earth isn't going back like climate has changed climate will continue to change so we're not even we can't even go back to what the rainfall used to be we can't even go back to what the fog used to be we're not going back like i think about when climate change started to really get more um you know in the news people are like oh yeah 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 but it's like well it's been what five ten years where mainstream has been picking up on climate change what has this country done about it? Pretty much nothing. So I don't think going back is something that we can even rely on. And then that brings the question of like, okay, well, then we're having to think about reforestation and restoration within the future. And again, we just don't know that much. So again, it's like, if we're not gonna go back and we wanna go forward, we still need a heck of a lot of patience, slowness and actual relationship building with the land and with the first peoples of that land and I remember in that interview and I get really you know fired up about this but I get so frustrated when people want to speed up old growth I'm like that is a crazy statement old growth is old growth because it's old <laughs> it's not because like we've figured out a way to like speed up oldness I mean that's crazy old like, it's just like it's really insane to me I'm like wisdom comes slowly the, the old growth ecosystems on this planet have so much wisdom and so much memory and so much complexity because they've had time. They've had the time to build complexity within themselves. And so for humans to think that somehow they have enough ingenuity to create complexity in a very short time scale is so egotistical to me and is so crazy. But I will also say, like, in my non-judgmental voice, is that I believe that the humans who do, well, I don't want to say all of them, because also restoration is an industry, and it's very connected to the logging industry. And so a lot of, quote unquote, reforestation is really just about making plantation forests that can be logged in 30 or 40 years. So I will make an adjustment and say, I think there are people, people within reforestation who really do mean well, and they really really why they want to speed up the process of old growth is because they're in love with the forest and they see how damaged the forest has become and they want to do something. And I get that. Like when you're in love with someone or, or somebody and you see them in pain or you see them sick or ill, like, of course you want to protect them. You want to make them better. You want to heal them. You want to get, you want to do anything you can to make sure they're going to be okay. And so I think people can come from that place where it's like, oh my gosh, the forest is so damaged. What can we do to help them heal quicker? And, um, and so I, I do want to like just say that with compassion because I will also say that I was one of those people that was just so in pain and in grief and wanted to find a solution urgently because of this need to protect. But that urgency I've learned over the years and like really humbling myself can create a lot of problems. And I think about this interview with Bio Komalafe of um, what if, something like what if 
like what is it like what if part of the crisis is the way we're responding to the crisis or something like that like we have to relook at the way we're responding um and so yeah long answer to that but reforestation restoration super complicated and i think that all in all it's to me it's about humbling slowing down actually building relationships with the land and the first peoples of that land and taking a long time to create a plan where everybody has a seat at the table and um, we're really making every step with a lot of intention because we don't want to create more damage and it's possible that we do that it's possible that we go into these places that have been logged and create issues in the future because we really just weren't ready to think we really just weren't ready to actually um, tend in a good way yeah, I have a question, another question real quick. You don't mind I on. Yeah, so you know these these no, I, I yeah, see these places where they log and they replant trees. Is that even efficient? I've never even heard any studies mm. or do you know do you know about that uh, Ayana, if that's efficient strategy mm. for logging or is that just bogus? Like hey, we're going to replant plant the same tree. Mm-hmm. Do you have thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. Well, it's yeah, I mean, I think that like for instance, I think about Oregon, the state of Oregon, and there are, they have crazy logging practices in Oregon and Washington and British Columbia. Like BC, for instance, is the biggest logging operation in the whole world. Like they are slaughtering trees so quickly. It's, I mean, you can drive through the same area in in a couple of days and it's completely clear cut down to the ground. Um, And so a lot of, so many millions of acres have been completely slaughtered. And what logging companies will do is they'll come back in, they'll pick up the slash and burn it, which is, I mean, if anybody knows anything about soil, it's like, why would you take literally what is going to build the soil off so that the soil gets beat by the sun and all the micronutrients then dry up? They poison the land. They put herbicide and fungicide to kill everything. And then they'll put in plugs of genetically you know, because like a lot of these trees are clones, so they're not actually even growing from seed. So you can imagine, like, imagine if you were looking at a a field of um, non-organic corn, where it was just like a bunch of corn and soybeans that were poisoned, and they're all really close together, and they're tight, and they have no room to breathe, and they're just like these crazy monocrops. Well, that's what the logging industry does with forest. They strip all the trees, they poison the ground, they plug in these baby trees that have no genetic variation. And it's really a plantation forest. So that to me is like completely insane and is very unhealthy. And also what do we expect year after year after year, like decade after decade? This land has been um, so depleted that you know, logging companies are seeing that after however many harvests, four or five harvests, um, the land doesn't produce as quickly. It's like, well, of course, like, what are you, again, like, what are we expecting? It's really about cash flow and short term, short term um, money. It's not, it's not about long term sustainability, whatever that word even means. And sustainability, we could go on a whole riff of like, is that even where we're going? Is that even what we want? Um, but when I think about like other tree plantings, I think it's so case by case. And I think that's what's challenging because when you walk through a forest and with the, when you're with the land, every, everywhere you look is unique. 
everywhere you look is its own, it's their, their, their own life force, their own little patch that's creating something different. You know, you're in a mountainous area and there's going to be north facing slopes and south facing slopes and ravines and there's different plants that grow in all of these different little micro climates of the topography shift. So to say, um, you know, tree planting or pl plant planting, understory plants, anything like it really, to me, it's, it's not a binary of good or bad. It's like, we got to shatter that to me and really look at the land and say, in this one area, what does this need? And in this one area, what is this? And what's hard about that type of model is that it, it isn't cheap. It isn't cheap to really spend time with the land when a lot of models are just looking to do things quickly, efficiently, and cheaply. But we know that that leads to you know, we know what that leads to. We're looking at it around us. So um, hopefully that, that kind of answered your question. I know I got pretty passionate and maybe went off the rails yeah. a little bit. Um, um, yeah. I, so I, was, I want to say something, right? Yeah. Okay. I want to ask a question about this topic. Do you know of any examples that you saw that were positive when it came to reforestation? Mm -hmm. Like any, it's any, any country, have they done a good job or is everything kind of like, ugh? Mm -hmm. Well, something that I just thought about is, um, and this isn't necessarily, well, it kind of is reforestation. Like I think about in Yellowstone, um, when in Yellowstone, I think National Park, they, and I, you know, don't quote me on this because I don't, I don't have the study in front of me, but they reintroduced wolves and the wolves are keystone species and the wolves were able to move the ungulates, which were the, the deer away from the creeks and what was happening was without the predator the deer and, the, and other ungulates they were eating all of the trees and plants around the creeks and then the creeks were drying up and they were getting hot and then the fish weren't able to survive in that kind of habitat the wolves were brought in the ungulates were moved from the wolves um uh, hunting and then the trees grew back and then the fish came back so it's kind of like when i think about planting i think okay well there's there's ways in which humans can be the ones to reforest and there's also ways in which we get out of the natural systems way and they will reforest themselves and there's so much beauty to that like i think about um different types of birds it's like I, I, what was this i forgot what bird it was but like they are actually the most efficient at planting oak trees like they just know what to do and they're quick and they so I, I'm like, yeah, I think reforestation can work. I think it just needs to be expanded beyond the human. I think there needs to be more spaciousness yeah. for the other earthlings to be able to be a part of the reforestation. Um, but I also, in terms of just like, if we we're just talking like actual humans with their hands planting in the ground, I do think that there are times that it was totally necessary. Like there's a lot of... Um, in terms of like waterways or areas that were clear cut and then there's so much erosion that has happened because of that, it, it can really be beneficial to go in and plant trees and other plants to stabilize uh, the walls around creeks and rivers so that there's not so much sedimentation that gets in that can, you know, kill salmon and suffocate them. So there is restoration and reforestation efforts that I definitely, definitely believe were so helpful to the whole ecosystem. And, um, and so, yeah, I definitely have seen that in NorCal where 
because of logging, there was just an incredible amount of erosion and the changing of the river systems, which are the lifeblood of the land, as we know. And once people actually came in and supported the the halting of the erosion and built up the soil and the strength of the root structure to hold the banks back that made a huge difference and i think that's really beautiful thank you Ainan, you have a question or comment uh yeah i can i want to add on to that because um i have a lot of thoughts about that too i think um yeah i think that's all that that's great like i i i kind of want to you know, because we kind of fall into these holes of like self-despair and humans suck and, you know, we're doing terrible things and we should leave nature alone, et cetera, et cetera. And I agree with all the things Ayana is saying because, you know, it's all about intention. And a lot of the time we aren't connected enough. A lot of the people who want to do these reforestation things, you know, to the land, um, especially non-Indigenous people of the land, right? They go in and they want to start planting trees and they just pick whatever. And then it's a monoculture of trees and that's not really going to do anything. Um, really productive in the long term. But I also think that, you know, we have, again, going back to the storytelling and the narrative, and I like that you brought up the the story of, of Yellowstone and sort of rewilding the wolves, right, and allowing them to kind of just be and all the, the really, like they were the foundation, right? And then that just really rewilded, and there's a lot of really good success, quote-unquote, that came out of that um, reintroduction of wolves, and I, I, mm, that's not the right word, but I passionately, you know, advocate for people that it's not just the wolves that need to be rewilded, it's us, and we have the capacity as humans, as parts of nature, to rewild ourselves, and there's no real, like, guidebook per se, that can come from a colonial structure that's saying, you know, this is how you do it, and here's step one, here's step two, here's step three, because we're all individuals, and we all have our own distinct connections to nature, and, you know, I don't want to make it sound like some hippie, you know, like wishy-washy bullshit, um, I will say that word, and I apologize if I offend anybody, but I think, you know, I <laughs> I use that word intentionally with uh, sarcasm and also with like a, a realness to it because I think it's important to understand that the land that you are on, you know, is alive and that, like you said, the, the people that you should be talking to if you're not connected to that land or you're not from that land is the people of that land. Um, and you should they should be the leaders and they should be the guides for how you interact with the land there. Um, and that's step you should always do that because it's not your land, not that anybody can really own land in the Western mind frame kind of way. But um, I think it's important that we allow ourselves to be rewilded as well because the structures that we live in are set up in a very specific way that don't allow us to rewild ourselves. So I think about, um, I think you mentioned like an, like the eight to five workplace, right? So for example, I, work in a quote-unquote office culture, but right now we're all working remotely, which has done wonders for everyone because we don't have to abide by being in an office uh, separated from each other. We can actually like do Zoom conversations like whenever we want. And so it's, it's been, in a, in a way, it's been a blessing because we can actually like talk to each other in ways that we couldn't in the office before. Um, and I feel more connected 
to my other coworkers. Plus, I'm working from home, so you know I can make tea, I can like make some food, I can be in my own space, I can feel comfortable um, as I'm working. Uh, you know, and of course, we can talk about work-life balance. I don't want to go there, but like you know, some people are still in that mind frame, even though they're working from home because they have all these competing interests of like, oh my God, I have, I'm a, I'm a product and I'm a producer. And so my uh, success is defined by how many boxes I can check of the things that I finished today instead of like focusing on, you know, the different things that they're learning throughout the day or like the sun outside and the, the fresh air and the, the trees and the, the scents. And, um, and another thing I kind of wanted to expand upon is plants because I've always been connected to plants. So like plants have always, 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 always talked to me in a very profound sense. And they've always told me, they've always taught me, they've always shown me, you know, how to connect. They've always said hi to me in their own way. Cause of course they don't, they don't have like a voice like I'm talking here, but you know, like I, I don't care anymore. You know, like I'm telling people that flat out because it's not a secret. Like they talk to all of us in their own way. Um, and I, I don't care if I get called crazy because I know I'm not crazy. And also um, when you're talking about wolves, I think a lot about my first, the first dog that um, was my pet. Right. Um, and that dog was a female dog and was very, very like protective and very wolf like, like towards me. Um, but she was my teacher because I remember growing up with her and I remember like watching her and I remember playing with her and I remember how she would literally teach me like, you know, how to interact with plants, how to smell things around, how to be aware of things, even though you couldn't see them. Like she's the one who taught me that from a very young age. And I, you know, like, of course I had like my human kin and stuff, but like my dog, I say my dog, I don't even like saying that, but uh, <laughs> my kin, my kin wolf descendant was the one who, you know, taught me so much. And I, you know, I, I think about her all the time because she's like, she's not gone, right? Because it, it's just memory. Um, and I, I think about that because that was like my childhood innocence that's coming back. That's kind of resurfaced a lot for me. And I think that that's where we need to, that's what I meant by going back. I don't mean in the linear time of like Western, um, in the Western colonial sense, I mean, going back as in like remembering, um, not so much as in, you know, like going back and extracting the information and data and trying to document everything that was in the past. So like remembering those feelings of connection, remembering like our childhood curiosity and how we, it was easy for us to connect and make friends really easily and to like see things and feel things and like be things and just like interact and connect because that's how we were born, right? That's who we are. Um, and I think we get caught up. I think we get caught up in a lot of despair and a lot of people and we get bombarded by these messages that tell us that you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that because either one, you're crazy or two, that's not a real thing, et cetera, et cetera. And I think like, I just, you know, I, I encourage people to, to connect with plants and like an easy way to start doing that is like, look at a seed, but look at a seed from like, as if it was your child, you know, you, you look at the seed, you see how it grows day after day, you water it, you take care of it, you make sure it gets light, you make sure it gets shelter. And then that's kind of like your child 
the same way a child is going to teach a parent about life is kind of similar to how a seed could do that. And then you can, the, the term seed can be used for anything, right? It can be used for like a dog. It can be used for like a, whatever you want it to do, but like starting with a seed and kind of like all the knowledge that that seed carries and kind of like, let it be your teacher instead of like trying to tell a flower when to bloom, you watch it and you experience the beauty as it grows and you grow with the flower as well, instead of saying, you know, you have to bloom when I tell you. And there's a very strict scientific model of like what chemicals you're supposed to put when and not really paying attention to the sun or the wind or the water and just being like, you know, telling it what to do instead of like listening to what it needs, like you would a crying baby, um, a child or something that you care deeply about and that you are in relationship with and that you love dearly. Um, and that's kind of what I, yeah, that's what I mean by like, we need to shift our narratives. We need to start telling different stories because we are the people collectively that we are waiting on to save us, right? It's, it's us. Like it's not some other force. It's us. Um, <laughs> and we need to bring back that inspiration, that sort of like innocence, that childhood curiosity in order to move forward. Um, instead of like being stagnant where we are as, as, as huge as these burdens in our planet seem, I think they can also be used as very good lessons as well. Um, yeah. Comments? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Ayana. Or... <laughs> yeah. Gosh. Well, I love hearing your passion for the plants and <laughs> I am with you. Um, I love them so much and I feel like I am in a relationship with the plants and it's, um, and it's so interesting how, you know, we have to feel like we have to, you know, or, or maybe I've, I've also felt this. I'm like, Oh, it's not hippie. Like I, I, I can love the plants and it doesn't have to be this woo woo new age spirituality. It's like, it's it's just interesting how loving plants has been caught become this um like silly thing or something or like you know just silly and uh not real or or fluffy um because we literally rely on them to be alive like they're clearly so powerful uh and it sucks that we live under a system that tells us that we can't have relationships with plants because um, we're looked at as crazy or whatever. I mean, I, 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 it's so frustrating because I think if we had deeper relationships with plants, we wouldn't be in the predicament we're in. We would not allow things. We wouldn't allow massive resource extraction projects to log them, poison them, um, destroy them and I think about so many indigenous land defenders who are very connected to the plants and they put their bodies on the line to make sure that the plants and the land and everything else that the land encompasses will not be hurt and uh, yeah I, I definitely speak to the trees and I remember one of my first teachers when she was telling me she spoke to plants I was of course that voice came up in me of like what like what this is weird like you can't okay but the other part of me was so curious 
And so I just started practicing speaking to plants. And I remember feeling kind of frustrated at the beginning. So I was like, okay, do I say hello? Am I supposed to try to have a conversation with them? This feels dumb. I don't, maybe this isn't going to work. But for me, what I realized is that speaking to plants and speaking to the water and speaking to the earth for me was really about being quiet and just not feeling like I had to be the one who had something to say. And I didn't have to be the one dominating the conversation. And I didn't have to be the one controlling how the communication happened. And that was a whole paradigm shift for me because I think as a human and the way I was raised, it was like, well, if I can't make it happen, then it's not happening. And what it really communicating with the earth was humbling because I had really quiet and I had to really put all of the distractions of in the industrialized world somewhere else and not prioritize my phone buzzing or my timeline or my schedule for the day and realizing it's actually not about my timeline. It's actually not about my schedule in the industrialized world. It's actually the antithesis of that probably. And so when I got quiet and I actually gave space and time to being quiet and listening, there was so much love and so many messages that were coming through. And really the messages were deeply loving and also, I would say, like, for me, they were loving and they were, mm, what's the word, like directive. Like the plants and the earth is always telling me to protect them, basically. I mean, that's, that's the message I get, whether, you know, it could come up in many different ways. But it's like, we're here. We need you to be aware of us. We need you to do what you can do to make sure we're going to be here and that our children will be able to live here too. And, um, and I feel a huge responsibility tasked with these messages. And with that responsibility comes so much fulfillment and so much pride and so much joy. And of course, challenges and complexity and all of the things. I mean, we've talked a lot about the complexity just in our conversation today. It's not an easy path. But what is more beautiful than loving and protecting the earth? I mean, it's, it's like the, when I felt like I was tasked with that from the plants, I didn't know how. I definitely, like you were saying, I like there's no prescription or outline or like this is your 30-day, you know, whatever of how to you know, do whatever you're going to do. Like there was none of that. There, no. And it, and, it, and it gets, you know, it really shatters the Western linearity of how to do things. And it really is like, this isn't about a solution that you can go click on your computer with. This isn't about being able to go buy something at the health food store because it's going to solve this or that. Like, no, it's actually humbling, but so purpose-filling. And I think in this time, so many of us feel lost because we're disconnected from a greater purpose. And we're disconnected from the spirituality that comes with having that purpose to something that is bigger than ourselves. And, um, and for me, protecting and fighting for the community that is earth, like, I, I just feel so blessed that I woke up to it. I think all of us actually are tasked with it, um, with this, you know, to protect the earth, but it, 
some of us for so many reasons um it's as if like this terrible culture that and system that we're under has blinded us has 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 like built up all these walls and so so some of us haven't been able to break through and see what's outside of those walls and um and i think a lot more people now than ever especially in the you know in the last couple decades i think more and more people are awakening to the realities of the time and awakening to this feeling of needing spiritual purpose and needing to be in right relationship with each other and with the earth and it's exciting it's exciting to see people wake up now of course it's not like oh we wake up and suddenly we know what to do i mean that's like we've been talking about that's not we can't just be like okay point a or like you know a wake up b you know what to do c we fixed it yay like no that's not what it doesn't seem like it's going to be like that but if we're committed to the complexity and if we're committed to the lifelong relationship building that it takes to actually be in right relationship then it's like great we're not trying to rush towards the solution that's going to fix it all the if it's all, if it's actually about relationships and it's actually about spiritual connection that is a whole different way in how we approach the issues and how we approach each other. Thank yeah. you. I know Rick has a question, but I just, I wanted to say something really quick, Rick, and then I'll let you say go ahead. Question. Yeah, go ahead. Quick, I promise. That's um, okay. Yeah. Ayana, I think, I think that what you said is really important. And I think you kind of mentioned this is that there's a shame, right? There's a shame of people saying like, Oh yeah, I talked to plants and, I'm way beyond that, any of that shame. And, you know, I just tell everyone, yeah, I talk to plants and then I can tell a person about their life story because a plant told me. And then they're like, how the hell do you know that? And I'm like, because I listen. You know, <laughs> um, it really is that simple. Like, you know, and it's not, it's not a secret because, you know, if you're, if you're thinking about like love is which, what it all is, like, how are you going to hide love if love is everything, right? Um, that it's impossible, like it's in plain sight, it's everywhere. All we have to do is just be a part of it. Um, and I think about even even like despair and terror and all these terrible things and fear, like I think of them as like shit um, in the sense that they are shit that becomes compost that's going to help the plants grow <laughs> to continue the cycle, you know? So even, even the garbage has its place, um, you know? So even if, even if, not all of us, or like, even if a small subset of people don't wake up, you know, because they are waking up, it's in the air, um, you know, um, we, there's still a place for, for, for garbage, you know, um, and I think that that, to me, that's very comforting in the sense that it's going to be okay, and it's not for us to necessarily decide the how, but it's more for us to continue to advocate, continue to connect other people, continue to try and connect people back to, you know, plants, the fungi, et cetera, et cetera, whatever, you know, connections you might have with um, the earth and the air and the, the stars, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think we, we need to re, not re, because that's complicated, but we need to start storytelling again in a profound way than, you know, what our westernized colonial oppressive society has said these are the only ways a story can be told like we have to disrupt that by starting to tell our own stories um which is kind of why i was so happy you came on the podcast um and rick has a question <laughs> yeah so i was thinking about everything you guys were talking i was thinking i was thinking about like how 
plants help us get in, in, you know with a relationship with with one another like when i non used to come over or anybody came over i have a really big rosemary bush and people tell me can i have some of your rosemary i'm like yeah man that's what it's for i, I planted this giant rosemary so people can you know whatever blueberries whatever having from mint so people can take them right it's like a gift so people come over they can take aloe whatever i have and, and i you know that's the thing and i think you know within mexican communities you know somebody has an avocado tree or you know a mango tree i'll be like hey man can i have some of your lemons and i come over and i get some lemons but it's also like i stay over to, to chat too you know so it's like this little there's like it's like the plants are in between also within our relationships <clears throat> and i feel like we need to you know like kind of like be aware of that you know like we gift each other you know fruits or herbs or whatever and i think people it's just a very beautiful thing i think you know but i would to kind of go back a little bit and it kind of goes with everything as we're saying back to the wolves so there's this whole thing where you know i think settlers or whatever they like to hunt wolves right to like keep the population to a certain certain level but they also do it to bison i don't know ayana do you have any any thoughts on population control for like bison or wolves because mm-hmm. i really feel like that's every time i hear about that i don't know the science behind it but i really do feel like it's unnecessary you know for people to keep bison under a certain population especially since the bisons were from all the way to canada all the way down to texas you know and now you don't see bison now the bison you see the bison at a zoo mm-hmm. or you see bison on a farm but you know the whole effect on on the wilderness of the bison not being there and the elk and the deer there's a bunch of deer in texas but there's no bison you know it's like you know going back to Ainon, you know the shit you know they shit and that becomes part of the ground and nutrients so (laughs) you know one of those things like like that's missing from the environment right now like the, the millions of herds of like big big animals that you know that don't don't roam no more do you have thoughts on that Yeah, I mean, the, the the word that came to my mind is like sickness, like it's sick to have colonizers think that they are endowed to control populations of wolf and bison. I mean, <laughs> like who gave you that authority? That's crazy. Um, I, enough to, you know, when I pull back the layers, it's like, it comes down to money. Um, why are there not more bison? Because somebody wants there to be more cows so that they can make money off the cows. Or somebody wants to put a town or a subdivision. And so they don't want the animals because they want to make money off real estate. Or, um, yeah, just thinking about all the reasons in which bison and wolf are controlled and the way that wolves are controlled is really sick i mean the helicopter shooting um it's disgusting like they will literally go after the alpha like they'll go after the mothers they'll kill the mothers of the wolves and so that the rest of the pack becomes disoriented that is warfare that is illness to to treat these kin that way um, that is not good for anybody's karma. <laughs> like I'm like, y- y'all aren't like, this is not a good thing to do for your own 
spiritual reckoning. Like I, I, I think it's really, I feel bad for the people that are doing it in a way. Cause I'm like, what inside you thinks that you somehow have these godlike powers and somehow you think you have the authority that you, that you somehow think. And of course, and I, I mean, I get really, I get really fired up here. Now, of course, there are scientific studies that people can point to around, oh, well, there can't be as many wolves in this area and there can't be as many bison in this area. And here are all the reasons why we need to shoot them dead. Um, but to me, when I hear these arguments about how there are too many, I was like, no, 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 this is their home. This is their home. Maybe they're thinking that you shouldn't have come here in the first place. Maybe that's what they're thinking. Maybe it's like, you shouldn't be here, not they shouldn't be here. Um, and if you can't live in right relationship with the people, and I'm also more than human people that already live there, like that's something to consider. Um, and I think what's so frustrating around that colonizer mentality of killing creatures, and we've seen this all over this continent, like the passenger pigeon, the bison, the salmon. I mean, the colonization ecologically of this country, this continent has literally been about pushing every creature to the, the edge of extinction. So it's like, what are, what is going on here? Like, where is critical analysis on this? Because um, I think it's horrendous to depopulate these creatures so much um, that we basically just have them as like small remnants of what they were. Um, it, it's it's really it's 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 really upsetting, and and it's happening to so many animals. Um, but with wolves and bison, I know that's a you know a big issue, and it's not just that they're being killed; also that their habitat is being taken away from them. And then we wonder why there's issues. It's like well they need they need to roam they need grass like and i think the spiritual ramifications of losing these kin i don't think uh science definitely western culture hasn't even begun to imagine the spiritual ramifications of not having these kin around like i think i get chills thinking about the orca that is so under threat and the salmon and and you know, we could go on and on the elephant. I mean, it's like down to the frogs. I mean, this isn't just an ecological issue. This is a spiritual issue that some of us believe that we can, we are the dominant, the dominant controllers. Um, and I really I'm I have anger and I also have compassion for the people who are making these decisions and just being like, y'all are ill. And, yeah. Um, yeah. and it's not, it's not entirely their fault that they're ill because they've been conditioned to have such a fear and hatred of, of an, of a free world. They don't want, they don't want the earth to be free. They don't want the, plants and the creatures and the land and the rocks and the grass and the waters to be free. And that is, I'm like, wow, what is happening inside of you psychologically that you're so afraid of being in a relationship with an earth that is wild and free and autonomous. So yeah. anyways, we could really go off that one. You but, know, yeah, yeah. I, I, 
I do have a comment and observation that I feel like hunting has also become very bourgeois, right? In the U.S., like you have to pay, you know, big fines, not big fines, but permits, and you know, mm-hmm. and it's it's mm-hmm. hard for me to you know fathom like even hunting because just paying the, the, the permits. But also like I had a, somebody I grew up with, and we both grew up in California, and he moved to Washington, and then we were talking about somehow talking about bears. And I was like, oh man, what do you do when you see like a, like a brown bear, right? Because they're pretty big, a grizzly bear. And he was like, I'll shoot him. I was like, what? I was like, why? I mean, like you are in its land, right? Like um, shooting a bear for no reason because you're scared of it, to me, it sounds fucking stupid, you know? And he was like, they can eat my kids. I'm like, dude, like, but you're just killing an animal. You know, we need to find a way where we live with, with these, you know, uh, animals where we're not shooting them because we're afraid of them either. You know, to me, it's unacceptable, you know, and I'm not advocating for, to letting your kids get eaten by animals, you know, but th- sometimes I, sometimes it happens, you know, and not to be mean or anything, but I was watching a documentary of like these people, indigenous people in the Amazon, and one, it was a young lady that was like, my grandma got eaten by a jaguar. I was like, oh my God. Like <laughs> for them, it was like whatever, it was like whatever conversation. But like for me, you know, we don't have jaguars. I never grew up with jaguars, but you know, that's part of like life. And you know, they don't go killing jaguars because you know they kill, you know, th- their community members. No, it's, I think to me, in my point of view, this is only my point of view that you know, if you're gonna go live somewhere where there's like rattlesnakes or you know, I live with scorpions here, you know, rattlesnakes too. Like I don't go killing rattlesnakes. You know, it's just move them, move them somewhere else. You know, or you know, let them be, don't go around, don't touch the rattlesnake. You know, I don't know your thoughts on that, but we're, we, we're here at over an hour. I don't know how much time you have. If you have more time, if you're, if you're, do you want to close this down? It's up to you. Ayana. Well, I think we're, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm fine with going a bit longer. I know we're like in the middle of yeah. this conference. Yeah, do we're, I, we're, we're, we doesn't feel closed. Yeah, I don't feel like the right moment to close, I but do, I, I go ahead. thank you for asking. Yeah, I do have uh, a, a, a conversation topic that we, I think we all three of us are kind of interested, especially, I don't know, you have a picture of a mushroom on your <laughs> um, Zoom, but the, the importance of mycelium, like I'm barely like getting into this and I know, what's his name, Paul Stamets? I know he's very corporate, very like, you know, people like criticize his work, <laughs> but I think, you know, People don't, I don't know, can you talk about the importance of mycelium in, within the wilderness or nature? Because I really feel like that's a topic that, you know, doesn't get talked about much. Ayana. Mm-hmm. Well, I think partially doesn't get talked about much is because fungi are so mysterious and we know so little about them. And um, even the most incredible mycologists will even say I mean, if they're honest, they'll be like, I don't even know that many mushrooms because, or fungi, because there's so much variety. Um, And they're even, I mean, fungi are amazing. Like they even have multiple genders, like the way that they procreate, the way that they spread. um, There's so much power. And really like we absolutely rely on fungi. We wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have it there's pretty much fungi under everything, even under the ocean. I mean, on the ocean floor, like when I think about forests, which is how I relate to fungi the most, um, you think about the mycelial mat that's under, um, 
that's under the forest floor and trees will send communications as well as nutrients through the mycelium so like this is this is totally amazing me but with mother trees there's times where um there will be a like not a poison but uh like if there's a oh what's the word they'll send out signals of danger yeah they'll send out single signals for danger or if they realize that a tree near them is suffering and needs nutrients they will send the nutrients through the mycelial web to the other trees and plants they share through the mycelium i mean it's incredible like we know so little and what we are learning like as a you know community of mycophiles or people who are studying mushrooms and fungi um is so phenomenal so there's like the ways that they they work under the ground also without fungi there would be no decomposition they are literally the recyclers of the earth they break down tree matter they turn it into soil they can also clean water they can also pick up toxins like when i think about how toxified the world has become of course there's the big the big guys who are like okay you gotta clean up poison like this and and it really takes it out of the community's hands but what's so cool is microremediation, which is using mushrooms and fungi to clean up things like oil spills or lead from old paint in communities um or even nuclear fallout like what happened in fukushima we could have done a huge like the global community could have come together and done a huge microremediation project to support the detoxification coming out of the nuclear power plant because mushrooms will literally absorb the toxins i mean that's incredible they are so powerful they are so helpful to us let alone the fact that they're some of them are very medicinal for our bodies and for also the other creatures that eat them we're not the only ones who eat them um so there's medicinal properties there's also some of them are delicious and like they're really high and some of them are like really high in protein like shiitakes so it's kind of like the world of, of fungi is so vast and uh you know very honestly very not that well understood by western science really it's really they're just scratching the surface of understanding and I don't think we'll ever understand fungi. It's like, we're not, I don't think we're supposed to. I don't think like, I don't think we're supposed to know all the mysteries of life and fungi are so mysterious, um, but they, they're just incredible. And I think that that's another thing we lose when we lose old growth ecosystems, we lose the fungi that are growing alongside of them. And I think, you know, it's easy for people to talk about protecting old growth trees, but we don't usually talk about protecting old growth fungi. And I really see them as being one and the same because they absolutely rely on each other. And um, yeah, I mean, we could go on and on, but I have so much respect for fungi. I love them. They not only do all so much for us in the physical plane, I think they also are catalyst for imagination and mystery and stories and creativity and awe and reverence like they're so interesting like there's so, the colors and the shapes and how they pop like little mushrooms you know how they pop up from trees or the ground it's like i think it 
to me, it connects me to a whole other realm of being awestruck by this planet and all of the diversity and beauty and strangeness that, um, that the earth just births. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. I follow, um, a really quick comment before I let, you know, give you the mic. I know, um, I follow like, uh, there's a community that I think really respects uh, mushrooms. They like, I don't know what they're called. Mushroom hunters. They go around and they, they get mushrooms to eat in the wilderness. I, I, I'm pretty impressed about the knowledge that this, this community has. I follow a group in California. It's pretty, it's pretty cool how they go hiking and they, you know, share sites and everything, you know, but yeah. So I know. Um, yeah, I also love fungi. Like I think, I think while the plants, they're the foundation, you know, because fungi are first, like fungi is more the earth. If there was a hierarchy, which there's not, of course, but you know, they're more ancient than the plants. And so they have a very deeper knowledge of all those things. And I, I, I agree with you, Ayana, that I don't think it's, for us to understand in the strictest sense of like, we're going to write a book on it and we're going to like demystify it. It's all like, because that's the, that's what fungi is, right? It's, it's living mystery in a sense that it's not something that we necessarily need to quote unquote solve, but it's something that we, that we are. I don't even want to say that we can connect to because we are it. And when I think of fungi or fungi, whatever you want to say, or fungi, (laughs) depending on, you know, which version of English you're using, um, I think of death and I think of death in, in a, in a very real sense, as in we are like death walkers almost, right? Because we're walking, we are walking death. Like we are born to die. Um, you know, not ugh, I, I, just like, you know, Lana Del Rey song, but for real, you know, I'm not in a tacky pop culture kind of way. Um, that was funny, but I'm laughing at my own joke, but you know, I think I, I, I love, mushrooms and mycelia and fungi because for me communicating with fungi personally is communicating with death and I've always had in my family anyway like we've always had a very strong connection to death and we're we're not afraid of it and we know when it's coming so most of my family members they're like I'm gonna pass in these next few months or like you know I'm, I'm ready to go tomorrow and we know that and we all feel it, you know, and it's just like, w- that's not a mystery to us because we're connected and because, you know, we listen and because it's just something that we've inherited or whatever you want to call it. But it's, for me, fungi has always symbolized death in a, in a, not in a scary way, in a, in a, it's time for another cycle. So like it's death for one organism, but it's also rebirth. So it's not really life or death. It's more just a cycle. Um, And, you know, that's what fungi do, right? They decompose. And a little joke that I kind of have with plants and that the plants have with me, I don't care how crazy this sounds, is that we we kind of lick each other's lips when we're looking at each other. Of course, plants don't have lips. But, you know, like being like, Mm, you're going to be tasty. So like I get to eat the plants and they get to keep me healthy so that I'm a very fruitful, productive, healthy animal so that when I die, they can consume me and I can be productive and healthy for them. And so it's like this cycle that we're both nourishing each other and it's not scary, right? It's kind of like a joke because it's like real and it's like funny and it's like, yeah, one day I'm going to die, but I'm going to feed you in the same way that you're feeding me. 
And so that's why for me, diet is very important in conversations about diet and how we connect through the earth, through diet and plants, et cetera, et cetera, um, which we don't have to talk about. But, um, you know, and fungi for me, I love eating mushrooms so much and all different kinds from all different places. And those mushrooms have always symbolized to me death in a very like nurturing, loving, you get to go back to the earth and your physical body gets to be nourishing for another physical body and the cycle continues you know it, it it never ends so there's really no such thing as like life and death in the strictest binary of what we've been told by our oppressive forces right like it's the same it's the same thing so there's nothing to fear and if you don't have fear then you can connect because you're not afraid of what you don't know you're just going to be like well i don't know this but that's okay I'm just going to do it anyway. Um, and I think that's kind of what, also what I, I meant by like rewilding is just kind of like not to be scared, but to jump anyway, but to also be like, well, let's see what I learned. Let's see what the different organisms, the different beings around me are going to teach me today. And how are we going to learn together? Um, yeah. Thank you. Ayana, you have comments or questions? You can ask questions too. I don't mind. We don't mind. <laughs> Oh, no, I was just in it with I. Um, I was just there. I was thinking about the mushrooms. And I guess um, the one thing I'll add when I think about harvesting mushrooms is just that it can also become a colonized taking of mm -hmm. mushrooms. And I, mm -hmm. I'm really cautious about um, me like when I, when I am with the mushrooms and thinking like, you know, some people go, Oh, only pick half or only pick a third. But it's like, if I pick half and then somebody else picks half, well, then they're gone. Um, and I know that mushroom harvesting is a multi-billion dollar industry. Hmm. And in the Pacific Northwest, literally billions of dollars of mushrooms are picked and sent over all around the world. But Japan and China are really big purchasers of the mushrooms. And so I just think about, how to ethically harvest mushrooms and to always be aware that, um, you know, when I, when I talk about mushrooms and harvesting mushrooms, I'm always, I'm very cautious because I know it can, it, it has in a sense become a trend on social media. And as yeah. much as I'm like, yes, let's connect, with the, let's connect with nature. Let's connect with the outdoors. Let's connect with these fungi that are our allies. I really believe that. But um, again, it's like, I think about folks and how we are in right relationship at this time mm -hmm. in the earth's history, in our human history. And, um, and, and I do think that there are, so, there's so much joy and connection that happens when we, and I say we like collective, we all humans, like when we are, when we are touching the soil, when we are with the land, when we are eating from the land in a way that is, um, I think really ancestral for all of us at some point in our lineage, it is this great reminder and this beautiful memory that comes back into us. Like it's like an embodied memory of, of who, of where we came from, all of us, where we all came from. 
And, um, and so I, I always feel that when I'm with the mushrooms and picking them and eating them, like I, like we have all been doing this for a really long time and how beautiful <laughs> that we're still in this relationship with these incredibly mystical, beautiful, delicious creatures. Yes, thank you. How do you feel? Okay, I'm asking because, like, as Comanche, some people, some Comanches advocate for not harvesting peyote, and some people advocate that we have to learn how to, you know, grow it so it doesn't go extinct. But how do you feel about, like, harvesting or, like, growing? Because I see mushroom kits online. I, I don't, I haven't bought those, but I'm, like, always, like, weird about, you know, buying stuff. <laughs> online but <laughs> but like yeah. about buying mycelium online to grow yourself to eat mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I feel well, that's a big trend right now yeah yeah i think that like with anything <clears throat> there's people who are selling really intentional beautiful you know mushroom spawn for instance and then there's people who it's like a factory and it's industrial and there's not a lot of heart and soul put into it but you get a little mushroom package and you're good to go um and so i always think you know if you can buy small and local and you actually know that the people on the website are the people who are literally the ones packaging it and like you're that's always better you know it's like even like with baked goods, like the small bakery down the street is always going to have better bread than some crap at the market that's like made in a factory somewhere. So I think that applies definitely to buying mushroom spawn to grow your own. I think growing your own is awesome. Um, I have been growing, well, the only mushroom that's done really well, and I think because it's the easiest to grow, is the shiitakes and actually oysters too. And I just took some um, tan oak trees, which we have a lot of them around me. And we plugged them with shiitake and oyster spawn. And for a while, I was like, oh, we didn't do it right. We didn't do it right. But then, you know, lo and behold, it took a little bit longer than we thought, but they blossomed. And what's so cool is they have continued to blossom. And they're so hardy. And they're, like I was saying earlier, like they're high in protein. They're medicinal. They're also a very um, affordable way to get that type of food. So, you know, if you can grow your own it's, and you can get it from a source that you believe in, I'm like, go for it. Like, that's amazing. And, um, and it, I think it also helps us get out of the crappy food system we're in. And it brings us back into our connection with growing our food. Uh, and yeah, and they're also delicious. I mean, to be able to clip off like a fresh oyster or shiitake and fry it up for the evening it's like how special is that it's similar to just picking a carrot out of your front yard and like that carrot's going to taste better than any carrot you're going to get at the market similar with mushrooms so i'm all for those um package packets if you feel good about the source that they're coming from and and there are a lot of beautiful people putting out that stuff into the world um and i'm sure they need support too you know to keep making their small business um continue so yeah thank you for I, that i oh go ahead Ray. no go ahead i just said thank you i said go, go ahead i oh i was going to add on to that um on i also think it depends on intention right uh like when you're buying seed uh and you know it could be 
or mycelial spawn or whatever, um, anything really, it depends on your intention on how are you going to use that and what is the purpose. And I really like that you use the example of the rosemary plant that you planted, which I've had some and it's delicious. Um, you know, I think that's Thank you. <laughs> the, it's the intention. You know, if you're, if you're buying it to, or if you're cultivating it, I don't want to say buying it because that's on, you know, money is, is a whole nother topic, but if you're cultivating it, you know, and money is the avenue that we currently use right now, um, if, you're, if you're doing that to cultivate it, to produce, not produce, but to share, the plants know that, you know, like the, the plants and the fungi or the, anything that you're going to cultivate, like they can feel that and they know that. And so they're going to be abundant and they're going to produce. And it's, it's your job, you know, quote unquote, to, to listen. So like I, I have a I have a really strong affinity with plants, obviously. So like I'm the kind of person that has like it's not even a green thumb. It's like a so green, it's blue, it's purple kind of thumb, you know? Um and I get asked a lot, not a lot anymore, because now people see that it's just like something that I emanate, <laughs> is that um, you know, like how how did your plant grow like that? We've never been able to like plant something in this particular spot and it's never like we that plant never grows for us, you know, like it's so finicky, it's so whatever, it's this, that, and the other, and I'm just like, and mine is like the most beautiful plant that they've ever seen, and I say mine in air quotes because, of course, it's not mine, I don't own it, I'm in relationship with it, and it's, to me, it's very simple because I've always, I've always listened, you know, and like I've always had plant teachers, and I've always had um, like uh, my first dog, who was my pet, she was the one who taught me about animal relationships, you know, and so I always was able to listen to them, and people are always amazed at how vicious dogs that they have or cats that don't like anybody, typically, like, they gravitate towards me, and they're like, we've never seen such, you know, insert type of being here do something like that, and I'm like, well, have you ever listened to it? <laughs> You know, and so I think like intention and when you, you know, everyone has a presence when they walk into a room, everyone has a presence across like space time, right? Um, and yes, I'm using that word intentionally because linear concepts of time are not really, not really a thing. They're not real. Um, you know, everyone has a presence and I think it's, it's important to be present in yourself because if you know yourself, then you're able to open yourself up to other things that are around you. And it's a, it's a trust relationship because you're not there to harm, you're there to grow. Um, and growing can come in the form of like learning, it can come in the form of like trials and challenges, which can, you know, be pain, can be growing pains, but are going to lead to something better later, um, you know, and I, I've always been able to do that. And so I get very confused when people can't do that. And I've just realized that that's like my own special gift that I have to kind of like spread more of is to help other people become more like, you know, if I were to use my own terms is more like the plants that they are, you know, so like not telling the flower when and how to grow, but telling the flower, you are a flower, you are beautiful, you will bloom in your own time, and I am here to feed you, I am here to nurture you, I am here to love you, I am here to feed you, you know, and we are here for each other because I know that if I nurture you, you are going to nurture me because you are going to bloom and you are going to be beautiful and you are going to be, you are going to provide, you know, fruit as a metaphor so that we can share in a, a bounty, you know, like whether that be spiritual, physical, 
you know, eating or sharing or loving, whatever. Um, you know, that's just kind of like the same concept sort of applies in the sense that the more you nurture, the more you love, the more you get, and it's always unexpected. It's always way better than you can ever imagine individually or even that you can imagine collectively. And that's something that plants um, and animals and, you know, other creatures have always shared with me, right? They've always shared that knowledge. Um, and I didn't realize until, you know, very recently that I was like, oh, this isn't like a normal thing for everyone. This is like very much something I'm, you know, tapped into or whatever. And so, you know, I'm, that's why I'm so big on storytelling and trying to remind people of their own beauty. And you don't even have to say words. You just need to be in their presence sometimes. You just, sometimes it's as simple as like looking at, looking at them in their eyes and just admiring them as if they were like a beautiful tree, you know, because I love trees, of course, um, or their, their own spirit. And just being able to see that, but not just see it, but actually like be in the presence of it and acknowledge that it's there and, you know, like bring it out in the sense that it's okay, you're safe. We can share each other's beauty and we can be beautiful together. And with that, that creates, you know, more fruit, more bounty that we can share with others. And it, it really is that simple, you know, like it's exponential um, and it seems complicated, but it's really not. But I understand how for a lot of folks who haven't experienced that, in a, in a long time, it can be very uncomfortable in the beginning, um, or it can seem like it's just batshit crazy, you know, which is what <laughs> some people, you know, also believe in that sign. But I, you know, I think that that's something that the fungi teach us or that they already know. That's something that um, the trees and the plants teach us. That's something that's in the air. It's in the water. You know, it's in the physical earth. Um, and it's just, it's just all very beautiful, you know, like, and I, I've always been able to see the beauty in everything. And I really hope that at least with this recording, enough people will be inspired to remember that, or at least to try, you know, to, to say like, I want to see beauty today instead of all the other things. And I know all the other things are there, but I want to, I want to, I want to see the beauty so that I don't, so that I can begin to remember the beauty, right? Um, yeah. I do have one one more topic to talk about, Ayana, but I don't know if you have time. Um, I, I have a little bit more time. Oh, it's okay. Um, I mean, we don't we don't have to. It's fine. I mean, <laughs> no, I, I think I I um I was running late for something else, but I was like, I'm still talking. So, uh, I I um well, I mean, I. <laughs> it's hard for me to say no. No, it's fine. We we can we can end it here. You know, I we, we we I'm grateful for your time. You know, I don't want to keep you because I have kids mm. too. So <laughs> I gotta put them to bed too. <laughs> so, but yeah, well, you know, Aww. thank you for yeah, <laughs> thank you for your time and I you know I for you know sharing our thoughts and um mm. you know these are relationships that we all you know I really do feel mm -hmm. like people need to take into consideration when it comes to talking about theories, you know, political theories or, you know, decolonization or, or, you know, anti-capitalism, mm -hmm. anti-materialism, we have to think about mm -hmm. balance with the earth, with the plants, with the animals, with each other, you know? And I think, um, you know, I really, if people have never heard of For The Wild Podcast, please, I, I listen to you on YouTube. So um, just on YouTube, check it out, For The Wild 
I know your words before we leave. Um, yeah, it's been so great to meet you, Ayana, and I'm totally going to like <laughs> be like, hey, let's keep chatting. When do you have time? Whenever you're free, um, because you know that's just that's how it goes. You meet people, and then you get inspired, and then you want to be continue to be inspired. So. I, I'll finish off with saying, you know, I would love to continue any type of conversation that you want to continue. I completely support um, your work, um, and we can talk about whatever you want. And I, I'm just so grateful that you were able to come here because I think you have a really broad platform, and I think that your podcast in particular has a very, um, a very uh what's the word it's very accessible to a lot of different people from a lot of different um i guess levels of understanding and growth and cultures and i think that that's we need more of that um and i you know i'm just i'm just i'm really grateful that you're that you're here and that you were able to chat for us and that you know we had a really great conversation and you know this conversation not just between us but i think between everyone needs to continue to happen and that's one way that we can start changing and redreaming and you know re-narrativing re, re you know just changing the narrative so that we can live in the world that we actually want to live in um not that we're forced to live in and yeah thank you so much it's been great Mm. <laughs> Y'all, thank you so much. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with both of you, and I would love to stay in connection. And I am so moved that y'all are so moved by the podcast. It's like it's just it's like a symphony to my heart just to hear that because I, like, I started it just being in my own confusion and desire to be connected to people who are thinking about things and feeling really feeling things. And, and so to know that a community has been blossoming from this thing that I do in my little cabin, you know, with the computer. And now, you know, and I think that was my prayer when I started the podcast too, was to be in community and to find other folks who were deep thinkers and feelers and wanted to sit in the truth together, even if it was challenging. And, um, and so, yeah, I feel so connected to you both after this conversation and just knowing that we're, we're like swimming through the waters together. Um, and yeah, thank you both so much for your time and for inviting me on the show. Thank you.